That was good. Today, <coughs> we just realised in light of Friday coming up with enough, it just helps us realise actually we don't always talk about prayer enough. Just take time just to press the pause button and just consider what prayer is. We talk about it a lot. And quite half the time we feel rubbish about what our prayer life's like. But actually, let's just spend the morning just looking at prayer. So that's what I'm going to speak about for the next half an hour or so, if that's okay. Um, Prayer is vital, isn't it? Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian walk. It is the heartbeat of the abundant life that Jesus has promised us. And yet, if I ask the question... Would you like a better prayer life? How many hands would go up? They're all starting to rise. They're all starting to rise. It's the heartbeat of all we know and experience in Christ on this planet until the day we die or he comes again. And yet, we don't consider ourselves to be very good at it. Do we? Why? If I could give you a silver bullet to a better prayer life, would you like that? Who wants the secret to a better prayer life? Maybe in the next half an hour you might find out what it is. How's that? You up for that? That'll make you listen, won't it? Yes. See, we can try to have a better prayer life. And particularly in the West, we're particularly rubbish at it. Just generally, we are. But in our busy Western culture, life can smother. Life can dull. uh, Even conscious awareness of the need to pray let alone doing it. Our energy levels can sap, which can affect how well we pray or when we pray or if we pray. Our general interest can waver. We get distracted by other stuff. Shiny things, shiny. And a day or a week can go by and we haven't really prayed sometimes. We can get guilty about it. We could get indifferent, immune to the fact that it's a problem can't we? Or, when we are doing well, when we are praying a lot, sometimes we can get proud that we are. Look how well I'm doing. Or look how well my prayer life is better to how that other person just described theirs. I'm doing okay. We can get a bit proud about it as well sometimes. You can go both ways. None of which (coughs) are helpful or honouring, really. But we're all capable of that. And so, Let's spend a little while looking at prayer. I'd like to look at what prayer isn't. It's helpful to know, isn't it? I'd like to look at what prayer is. I'd like to look at Jesus' life and what we can learn from that and therefore then apply it to us. How's that? Is that okay? Luke chapter 11. If we want to look at prayer, we go to the bit where Jesus is asked about prayer and we look at his answer. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Luke chapter 11. Start from the beginning, we're going to go down to verse 13. And now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed or holy be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us 
our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, he goes on, he says, he says to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, beyond the closed door. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're going to look at some of those verses a bit more in depth in a moment. But first of all, let's be sure of what prayer isn't. Let's get those to one side and then we can look at what it is. First of all, what have we got here? Here it is. Got some tape here, let me put it up here. Prayer isn't a letter to Santa. The trouble is, we can treat it like that. We can treat God like Father Christmas, can't we? We can just treat prayer like, I'll go to God for the things I want. And actually, that's all our prayer life becomes. And sometimes we can try and twist his arm. I've been really good, can I have? It's like kids writing to Santa. Dear Santa, I've been really good this year, can I have an Xbox? And yet we can treat our prayer life like that sometimes. It can be all just about the asking for stuff and nothing else. Prayer isn't just asking. Prayer isn't writing to Santa for nice shiny things. But sometimes, I've been in danger of it. We can limit it to just that. That's not prayer. Or, who remembers these? Do you remember them? Hello? It's for you. Oh. We can treat prayer like a phone call, can't we? It's convenient. When you want God, when you need him, you can pick it up and talk to him. Hotline to heaven. Put it down when you don't need him anymore. It's convenient, we can slot it into certain times of the day, it's an on-off switch. When I need him, I'll give him a bell, he's at the end of the number. When I don't need him, it's there for later. That's not prayer. Prayer isn't an on-off switch. But we can treat it like that, can't we? Hotline to heaven, that's convenient for me. That's not prayer. Put that up there. It'll stay. One more. Magic wand. Prayer. This is Amy's. She let me borrow it. Harry Potter, etc. Prayer is not magic. However, we can treat it as such. It's the amount I pray that makes the difference. 
It's the words I use that make the difference. Makes, make the, makes the difference. It's how long I pray for that makes the difference, or how short and condensed I make my prayers. We can treat them like getting the key words in the right place and in the right order, the magical incantation, will make things happen. It doesn't work like that. Or we can treat it as magic by we ask God for things when we want to see people changed the way we want them to change. Dear God, make my husband nicer. Dear God, make that horrible neighbour move. When in fact he's probably thinking, I'd rather you went and blessed them and made a cake and, go and showed them some of the grace that's over you. But actually we pray for things to work our way and we can end up treating it a bit like witchcraft. Serious, that is what it can become in our heads and in our hearts. Prayer isn't magic, but sometimes without realising we can treat it like that sometimes. We're tapping into a Jedi force that works our way. That's how we can treat it. We might not realise that or maybe not feel like that, but that's what we can end up doing. We've got to be careful. Prayer isn't magic. Leave it there. Here's just a few examples. Here's a question. What, looking at your prayer life in general, what does it look like in general? Is it mostly asking? Is it mostly moaning? Maybe. Is it slotted into a certain time of day or a certain part of the week and that's it? Sometimes asking that question, what does your prayer life look like, can be quite telling. And it's just something worth reflecting on and worth learning from. Not to get guilty about, just to learn from. So if those are the things that prayer isn't, what is prayer? I did that right way around, didn't I? Yeah. What is prayer? Well, we can learn from what Jesus gave here as an example. The disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, so he told them. So how does he do it? Let's look at verse 3 and verse 4. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is, it is requests, but it's not just asking for shiny stuff. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. It's asking, isn't it? Forgive us our sins. It's asking. Lead us not into temptation. It's asking. We are told to ask for ourselves. And in fact, in Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says this. Oh, just missed it. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, which is petitions, requests, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, ask Him. We're told to. Why? Because Father God isn't Father Christmas. Father God is Father. What kind of dad, human dad, wants to give good gifts to his kids? Therefore, what good father of the universe wants to give good gifts to his children? He still tells us to ask. But he just doesn't want to be a depository that we come to, ask for stuff, get it and run away again. He doesn't want to be treated like Santa. He wants to be treated like Father. So he says, ask me. Ask. Ask for yourself. We're also told to ask for others as well. Not just ask for yourself, but make requests for others as well. 2 Timothy verse... Uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 no, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 I knew I got it wrong first of all, then I urge that supplications his requests, prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, pray for others pray for other people supplications, these petitions this is making earnest it's an earnest pleading on behalf of someone else as well as yourself earnest pleading, that's the root of the word supplication 
The thing about earnest pleading is it doesn't happen quickly. There's a wrestling and a struggle in there. So one little thing worth noting, if you do prayer lists, you might have a list of names of people you pray through in, every day, once a day, once a week or whatever. Here's a little suggestion. You see, ask yourself, is your prayer list about quantity or is it about struggle? Because if supplications is earnest pleading and if intercession, interceding for someone else, is immersing yourself in their situation, you can't do that in a few seconds, maybe even a minute. Does that make sense? If your prayer lists are about quantity, getting through reams of names, dear, dear God, please bless Bob, and may Brian feel a bit better tomorrow, and uh, Brenda, can she uh, get another job, and such and such, and can they go have a nice time at school? Is tick, 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 working your way through the list. Is that struggling? Is that interceding? Is that earnest pleading? I'd suggest it isn't. They're little arrow prayers, they have their place, but that's not interceding, and that's not supplications. If your prayer list is more about quantity versus struggle, can I suggest just go for less names? It's okay. It's all right. You're allowed to. We're told to pray for all people in that verse, but it's not you, Jenny, pray for all people, and you, David, pray for all people. You yourself cannot pray for all people, but all people can be prayed for. It's not all down to you. God's a little bit bigger than that. That's okay. Just don't aim to go wide on your prayer lists or long, but go deep. Immerse yourself in that person's situation. Spend time earnestly pleading on their behalf and see what happens. Seriously. It's okay to pray for less people. But also, we're told to pray for us yourself, you're told to pray for others, we're told to pray with others. It's very telling how Jesus worded this prayer when he gave it as an example to the disciples. Because... How does he word it? I've got to find my place again. He says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give me each day my daily bread and forgive me my sins. Does he say that? No. What does he say? Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. He's expecting this to be a corporate thing. He's expecting us to recognise that we're standing alongside each other, praying together. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Continues, for we, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. If I was asked <coughs> teachers how to pray, I would give them, I would have given them an example prayer for them to run away and do on their own. Forgive me my sins. But Jesus doesn't say that. He makes a point of keeping it plural. Forgive us our sins. <coughs> there is an expectation, as well as praying alone, there is an expectation to be praying together. Jesus talks about elsewhere, about where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That's not a verse to be rolled out of a small group to make ourselves feel better and then realise that when we're at home and are on our own, Jesus is gone. It doesn't work like that. <coughs> He's around all the time by Holy Spirit. But what he's saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, in unity, for the same thing together, something happens. Something happens in the spiritual realm when we pray together, corporately. We're meant to pray with others as well as for others. Does that make sense? So that's one type of prayer, the requests. 
But it's not just that. It's not just the asking. There is also puzzling. You're allowed to puzzle in prayer. Psalms are full of them. How long, O oh Lord? What's going on? My enemy surrounds me and I can't see any way out of this. Where are you? Why is this happening? I don't understand this. The Psalms are full of it. And God's more than happy with it. Why? Because it reveals our heart and we get to know his heart. Kids are always asking that question. Why? Why? You go, because. Shut up. <laughs> Why? Kids want to know because they want to know your heart. They want to understand. And God wants his children to know his heart and to understand. He won't always give us the answer. Half the time because it will blow our minds. And half the time because we don't need to know. But he wants us to ask. He wants us to puzzle. Sometimes it's because perseverance is required. Notice here, give us each day our daily bread. Not, give us each year our yearly bread. So we can steward it well and allot ourselves one twelfth per month and we know we're safe for the next year. No, give us enough for tomorrow. That's a scary prayer actually. That's a really scary prayer. But that's how he teaches us to pray. Why? Because we learn perseverance. We learn to trust him. We learn what it means to walk a walk of faith. We learn to depend on him. And so in the same chapter, verse 5, when he tells this story about a friend going and banging on his mate's door at midnight, asking for loaves, he gets it, not through one bang, opens the door, here's the bread. It's through his perseverance, his persistent banging on the door. Please, can I have some bread? I need some bread. And eventually he gets his bread. There's a journey there. There's a persistence. There's a pleading. There's a not giving up. Why? Because in so doing, our hearts sink with Father's heart. We learn more about him. We learn why he's holding off. We start to realize, that, particularly with hindsight, we start to realize that what we were asking for in the first place wasn't the best answer anyway. He knew what we needed more than we did. And as we willingly are teachable and humble and accept that he knows better, our hearts sink with his. There's a reason why he doesn't always say yes straight away. Puzzling is a good thing. Working, at, working it out in perseverance is a good thing. Because puzzling, another one is confession. Straight here, forgive us our sins straight away. Keep a short account with Father. There's a beautiful moment in Psalm 32, written by King David. See the difference between these verses. Psalm 32, verse 3. This is when he sinned. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. When I said nothing, when I'm just sitting there in sin, unable to my eye contact with my Father in heaven, my, something's corroding, something's being eaten away. It causes a kind of death. And yet in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. <clears throat> I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He's making eye contact now. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Suddenly there's life. There's a death when we keep our sin to ourselves and we don't keep a short account with God and we don't repent. We don't ask for forgiveness. But when we do, when we're able to make eye contact with Father and say, I'm so sorry, help me not do that again. There's life. Because our peace as God's people is guaranteed. Jesus makes peace with God on our behalf. 
It's what we're just learning about on the cross. In fact, Jesus is our peace. So as God's people, you have peace with God, but that peace can be disturbed. My peace with my daughter Amy will never change in as much as she will always be my daughter. I will always be her dad. I'm never going to disown her. That's a done deal. Our peace is guaranteed. And yet that peace can be disturbed by tantrums, slamming doors, telling fibs. Does that make sense? The peace is still there, but it's been disturbed. And the same with us, with Father. When we sin, there's this moment you just struggle to make eye contact, but you need to know very, very quickly, do it. He's waiting for you to repent, to fall forward in worship, and to seek to not do it again. He wants to help you do that. And the longer we avoid eye contact and the longer we wallow in our sins, our bones waste away. There is a there is a there is a form of death. Does that make sense? Confession is a good thing, confession is a part of prayer. So there's just some examples. Requests, puzzling, confession. We could go on. But does prayer change things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Back to Luke eleven again. Verse nine. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Not necessarily in the same shape or form that you thought of, because he knows better, but it will be answered. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And there's the thing. You may not always get what you initially start asking for, but you'll get something better. It's even there. Asking for good gifts and it gives you the Holy Spirit. There's always something more valuable. Because the primary change, does prayer change things? Yes. The primary change in prayer is in us. The primary change in prayer is in us. It does affect the world around us. Circumstances do change. People do get healed. Miracles do happen. Absolutely. But the primary change he's seeking is in us. Prayer is an odd, intangible thing sometimes to try and explain to particularly people, to people who don't pray or don't understand what it is. But it is God's chosen means of working with us and through us on this planet. Why? Because he wants to ch- us to change in the process. If there was no prayer involved and he just wrote us a letter, a commander's orders to his troops, go over there and do this and do that. There's no interaction, there's no relationship. Well, we don't change in the process, we just go and do it. We do our duty. This isn't about duty. This is about getting caught up in Father's purposes and we change in the process because it's an intimate, conversational dialogue with him as we go. So does prayer change things? Absolutely. But I have got a problem with the phrase, there is power in prayer. Why? Because the power isn't in the prayer. The the power is in the person we are praying to. Power isn't in prayer, power is in him. So if Amy gets accosted by a horrible man who leaps on her, wants to do horrible things to her, and she shouts out, Dad, help me! The power isn't in how loudly she shouts it. The power 
isn't in her choice of words. The power isn't in how flowery she makes it, which direction she faces, how short and abrupt she makes it. The power is in Dad rocking up with a baseball bat. The power isn't in the cry, the power is in the person who's being cried out to. See the difference? And so when the disciples were in the, in the boat with Jesus, in the middle of the storm, they were absolutely terrified. Jesus was Zonko, he was having a lovely time, fast asleep. And they were terrified by the storm. They woke him up, Jesus help us, look we're going to die. The power wasn't in the way they woke him, or the words they used, or how quiet or how loud they said it. The power was in Jesus standing up and rebuking the wind and the sea. The power isn't in the prayer. That's why we can start making it into a magical incantation sometimes. The power isn't in the prayer. The power is in the person we are praying to. And so as you can see, prayer is a mix of ingredients that become a marinade that change us and then change the world around us. Could we just have that picture up, please, Paul? Prayer is a marinade of different ingredients that change us and then change the world around us. Now you've got a microwave and a slow cooker there. Microwaves are convenient, aren't they? Very handy. Pop something in, a couple, couple of minutes later it's cooked. It's there for when you need it, takes no time at all, it's virtually instant. Lovely. Slow cooker, you've got to do some preparation normally. You've got to fry something up a little bit first and you get the herbs in and the onion and a bit of garlic and then you put it in with all the chopped up vegetables and then you leave it for six, eight, ten hours. One requires more work and takes a lot longer. Which one tastes better? <laughs> the slow cooker. It's worth the investment. It's worth that, that marinating of juices and herbs and flavours over a period of time, the different ingredients, rather than the instant, I want it now and I'm going to get it, ding, I'll have it now, I'm hungry. It's worth the wait and it's worth the investment, this ongoing process that a slow cooker brings. It tastes, it's out of microwave's league, isn't it? It's something else entirely. It's a whole other ballpark. Sometimes we treat prayer like a microwave. On and off, here it is again, on and off. Instant, he's there when I need him and I'll ignore him when I don't. When in fact prayer should be more like the slow cooker. It's worth the wrestling, it's worth the struggling, the preparing of the vegetables and the frying bits up first. It's worth the wait, it's worth the perseverance and the persistence, the ongoing process that takes longer. But when it comes, boy does it come well. Boy does it pay off. And boy have I changed inside as a result. Slow cooker versus microwave, don't forget. And so when we look to Jesus, you can, you can take that photo off now, I think. That's fine, Paul, thank you. When we look to Jesus, when he is asked, teach us how to pray, what's the first thing he does? The first thing he does, he immediately impresses the heart of intimacy and relationship. When you pray, say, Father. Father. And then in verse 5, the picture he uses is of a man going to a friend. There's a relationship here already. He's not going to a stranger. He's not just going to a shop. He's going to a friend. When you pray, say, Father. And he demonstrated that whole intimacy, that whole essence of relationship in prayer 
throughout his life. You look through the Gospels, you see how Jesus prayed. He did the drip feed, he did the chit-chat prayer, he did arrow prayers when he broke the, uh, the, um, the bread and the fishes. He gave, he gave thanks. When he was on the cross, it was an arrow prayer, Father, forgive them. That wasn't a long monologue speech from a film. It was just, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It was an arrow prayer, really. He did a lot of the drip feed and the chit-chat form of prayer. He prayed with others. He took Peter, James and John up the mountain with him. Come on, we're going to go and pray together. He took them to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane to pray together as well as keep watch, I'm going to go and pray. He did his alone as well, but he took people with him. He prayed with others. But yes, he did a lot of the one-to-one throughout the Gospels. Jesus retreats to pray. He effectively shuts his door and prays. Jesus prays in so many different ways, not one more than the other necessarily. He was just always, always praying in different settings and in different ways. That marinade, that slow cooker. He exemplified shut the door prayer and on the move prayer. He exemplified both. Both are valuable. I really struggle with shut the door prayer because I shut the door, I'll do it, I'll make a point of it. I'll diarise it. I'll decide what time I'm going to go and shut the door and pray. Go, right. I can't think of anything to say. I can struggle with that. Or I know what I need to pray, but after 30 seconds, I'm remembering tomorrow's shopping list. It's hard. It is really, really hard. But we need to find ways of helping ourselves. But when we look at Jesus, we see he wasn't just about quality, wasn't just about quantity, wasn't just request only. What we see is a full picture of father and son. It's as simple as that. We can look at his prayer life and see he knew who he was. When I look at my prayer life, I recognize I don't always know who I am in Christ. And that's the thing. You see, prayer is not so much about what we do. Prayer is about who we are. When we consider prayer as an activity, we look to an answer for a better prayer life in activity. So we look to prayer lists, we look to prayer cards, we look to phone apps, we look to uh, post-it notes or scheduling certain times of the day, we look to different times. We, we look to activity to fix the problem of the activity of prayer. That's where we find the answer. All those things are helpful. Please don't mishear me. All those things are helpful, but they won't fix the problem. When I struggle with my prayer life, I try different things. I've tried prayer cards and prayer lists and my phone buzzing me and giving me things to pray about. And they've all helped. I've had a little dice in my pocket and I roll it and depending on where it lands is a different number means I pray for different things. I've tried all sorts. Prayer life's still been rubbish. It hasn't actually fit. It's helped, but it hasn't fixed the problem. They're all helpful, but they don't solve the problem. We're leading up to this silver bullet in a minute. Do you beat yourself up about your prayer life? Three things I'll say to you. Most of us nodding. Amazing, isn't it? Three things I'll say to you if you beat yourself up about your prayer life. First, it won't help. (laughs) We know that. We still do it. Secondly, you are not alone. The amount of heads that we're just nodding. You are not alone. Thirdly, here's the reason why. It's a battle. If prayer is the enactment of our faith... If prayer is the working out of who we are, then the world, the flesh and the devil will do everything to fight that, to snatch it away from us. 
Prayer is a battlefield, which is why we find it hard. But here comes the silver bullet. Here comes the secret that is not so much of a secret to a better prayer life. It's not about the doing. It's about the being. It's not about what times of day or what kind of prayer lists or what kind of phone apps you use or how many post-its you have littered around your bathroom and your car windscreen. It's not about that. The secret to a better prayer life is just simply knowing who you are. Jesus knew who he was and his prayer life was immense. We can, we can look at his prayer life and go, well, he was God. Of course he found it easy. No, he was on this earth and it was a battle. The world, the flesh and the devil conspired to keep him out of intimate relationship with Father. I can guarantee that. But he knew who he was. And so he couldn't help talking to Dad. He wanted to talk to Dad. He wanted to sweep other people up into talking to, with Dad together. He did it on the drip feed, the chit chat. He wanted to retreat up a mountain for his own, on his own all night and pray. He wanted to spend time with Father. Why? Because he knew who he was. And the more I know who I am, and this, this, has, this is what has worked for my prayer life. My prayer life has, in, has, has exploded leaps and bounds the more I've recognised who I am. Not just changing what I do. That's the secret. When you know you are saved, when you know the darkness, the stains in your heart I've been dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ, Eternal Son of God. When you know that, when you know you are cherished, when you know you are adopted, when you know you are being made whole, when you know you are being made holy, when you know you've got great Father God of the universe right behind you every step of the way, angels protecting you, purposes for you, a job for you to do and the ability to do it, Holy Spirit in you, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. When you know this, you just want to hang out with him. When you know this, you want to know Dad more. You want to know his riches. You want to know what he's got in store for you. You want to puzzle. You actually end up, even if you don't get the answer, you enjoy puzzling. Seriously. That's one of my favourite prayers now. I don't know what's going on, God. I'll start having that chat. I'm not expecting an answer. I just enjoy talking to him. The key is not in changing what we do, just recognising who we are. Then you will embrace requesting. Then you will embrace asking him, not just for things, but saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You start recognizing that the things you ask for may not be the things he wants you to ask for. So then you start asking him for what things to ask for. It's brilliant. Your heart coming into sync with his. You will enjoy puzzling. You enjoy wrestling, seeking, interceding for other people, immersing yourself in, your, in their situation. You will enjoy struggling and earnestly pleading on their behalf instead of just trying to tick a box on a prayer list so you feel better about yourself. Do you see the difference? You will enjoy confessing. You will enjoy the fact that you can look him straight in the eye straight away rather than trying to avoid Father God for a day or more because of what you've just done. It's like, please, look my way. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. Let's, let's sort it out now and move on. Don't let that peace be, under, be, be disturbed. We are his children. And the more we recognise that, the more we want to shut the door. 
The more we recognise that, the more we can't help talking with him while we're in Morrison's, driving up the motorway, doing the school run, at work. You're just talking to him. It doesn't change massively overnight. It comes with time. We learn this. We grow. It's a journey. But the change comes not in the doing, but in the being. So do you know what I want to do now? I want to pray. Who wants to pray? Shall we stand? Let's stand and pray.